Testament passage today picks up with the dedication of Solomon's temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Spread out his hands toward heaven. I, I was sitting with a man one time and he said, are you a Pentecostal? I said, yes. He said, I could tell. I said, why? He said, because you lifted your hands when you prayed. He said, I'm a Catholic. I don't lift my hands when I pray. And I said, well, what, would you, what do you think Solomon would be? What do you think the Apostle Paul would be? Paul said that we should lift up holy hands before the Lord. And he spoke that to men, lift up holy hands before the Lord. He said, well, what does it mean when you lift up your hands to the Lord? I said, I'd have no idea, but I like doing it. I said, I've heard people give trite answers, and I'm not sure they're the real answers. Sometimes I think it's surrender. I surrender, Lord. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, I think it's like what I taught you last weekend. God daily carries us in his arms. Father, pick me up. Father, pick me up. <laughs> I just know I love lifting my hands before the Lord. And he spread out his hands toward heaven. You can put the verse over there with, with Paul lifting up holy hands. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Now notice, no partial hearts. No partial hearts. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep your servant David, my father, with what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If, there's that conditional promise, okay? Conditional promise. If only your sons will pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you walked before me. So two conditions here. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you spoke to your servant, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet you have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to your cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you said my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. <laughs> and when you hear, forgive. You know, there's a lot of Christianity today that has no concept of forgiveness because they have no concept of repentance. They, they say, well, you repented once and you never need to repent again. But, you know, the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, then the truth of God is not in us and we make God ought to be a liar. As, as Christians, as Jesus would say, we need our feet washed. We're clean, but we need our feet washed. Every day when you pray, Lord, Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. That's the Lord's Prayer. 
If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, because they have sinned against you. All right, so here's a cause of defeat. A cause of defeat, a cause of failure. We've been studying this a lot lately. Remember when Israel had sin in the camp with Achan? They failed because they have sinned against you. And if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back again to the land that you gave to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. If they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. When you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Notice, when you teach, forgive the sin, your people, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk. Part of forgiveness, part of forgiveness is instruction. Part of, and, and sometimes we divorce those two concepts and they're, they're not divorced, they're united. Forgive the sin of your servants, your people of Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk. Now, see, now we, we like the blessing part. All right, God restores the blessing. But when he forgives, he will also teach you. Now, now this isn't God walking in unforgiveness. This is God teaching you. You know, oftentimes when a person comes and says, Pastor, I've really messed up, and I want you to pray with me for God's forgiveness in my life. All right, we pray, and then we say, now, let's talk for a few minutes. And I get out the word, and they say, well, why are we talking about this, Pastor? I'm forgiven. Yes, you are forgiven, but you need to be taught the good way to walk in. Unless you, you, you have some instruction, forgive me, you get in the same mess all over again. If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or, or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward heaven, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know, render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways, for you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. Then they will fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house, comes and prays. Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do all for that which that foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people of Israel and that they may know that this house which I have built is called called by your name. 
Now, th this, is, this is one of the verses. This is just one of what I call the Western Wall verses. Because God said, later on, he promises he will always be attentive. This is part of the Western Wall verses. How many times when we, as Pinoy, we're foreigners, we're, we're not Jews, when we have gone to Israel, and we, we've gone to Israel for his namesake, we're there for the sake of the Lord. We're, we're there in the name of Jesus. And we, we come and we pray there at that Western Wall where he said he would always have his ear attentive and his eyes would always be watching for all the prayers offered in that place. It's one of those Western Wall verses. Verse 44. If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry, you need to get a hold of that. <laughs> there is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off and near. Yet if they turn their heart to this land in which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their hearts and with all their soul, all right, so there's no partial repentance. Repentance is done with all the heart and with all the soul. And pray to you toward this land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their plea and their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your heritage which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of an iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant, to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage, as you declared through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Now let me just pause there for a second. Do you see the heart of Solomon at this point in his life? You know, we... I know we go on and we talk about the book of Ecclesiastes with him and we see how his heart was pulled away and we see how in the end of his life his foreign wives pulled his heart away from God and we know that he built 700 demon altars and one temple for God and we see all these negatives about Solomon's life. But do you hear the heart that he has at this point in time? Do, do you see the heart that he has at this point in time? It's an amazing, it's an amazing prayer. Now, as Solomon finished offering all his prayer and plea to God, he arose from before the altar where he had knelt, knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven. Here's a posture in prayer. Most of my life, I knelt. Had a little red pillow for most of my life and knelt with my hands lifted before the Lord. Now, Grandpa never used a pillow. And Grandpa had what I called camel knees. He had big calluses on his knees from his prayer life. I always used a pillow. I thought, I'll be smarter than Grandpa, and my knees won't hurt. But you know, as you get older, you can't kneel quite as well, so I stand now. 
But brothers and sisters, postures in prayer. No matter how old you're getting and how bad your knees might be, it's still a beautiful thing. You might need a little help getting up afterwards. But it's a beautiful thing to kneel before the Lord and lift your hands. And he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules which he commanded our fathers. This is a prayer that you'll hear me pray a lot in my personal prayer life. Incline my heart to you, Lord. Incline my heart to your word. I always want my heart tipped toward God. I always want my heart moving toward God, inclined toward God. Verse 54, this, this is an attitude of life and prayer. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Now you just need to get a hold of that. There is no other. There is no Zeus. There is no Roman gods. There are no Greek gods. There are no Forgive me, there is no other God. All the rest of them are false gods. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. Then the king and all of Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered his peace offering to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the burnt offerings because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the, fat pieces of the peace offerings. So Solomon held the feast at that time and all of Israel with him, a great assembly from Nebuchadnezzar to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God seven days. And on the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the kings, and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Joyful and glad of heart. This, this is a cry of my heart as a pastor. Lord, let the people be joyful for all the goodness that you have shown to me, to my family, and to our congregation. Lord, let the people be joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that you show. A little bit more reading now. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. All right, a second time. As he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So he'd finished building the house of the Lord, the king's house. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. It doesn't matter that the house has been torn down. God's name is there. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. 
This is God's promise. And this is again what I call Western Wall Prayer. That doesn't matter that the house is gone and there's a Muslim mosque up there right now. God's eyes and God's hearts will be there for all time. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then, all right, so we have conditional promise. We have one condition, two conditions, three conditions. Then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Wow. This was fulfilled. God completely destroyed that temple. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And this house shall become a heap of ruins. And everyone passing by it will be astonished and hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to his house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought this disaster upon them. Wow. This is some pretty strong words God spoke to Solomon. Don't you wish you would have listened to them better? Hmm. Wish he listened better. And don't you wish that you and I would listen better to the words that God speaks to us? How much disaster, how much pain could be eliminated in our futures if we would just listen to the voice of our God and obey? All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up at the death of Stephen, one of the first deacons. Acts 7, beginning with verse 54. Now when they heard this, now what is it that they heard? That the gospel would go to the Gentiles. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. When he challenged them about the death of Jesus, and when he challenged them about the gospel going to the Gentiles, they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in honor of a martyr. In honor of a martyr. He rose from his place of seating and stood. You know... I read of the martyrs in Africa today. I read of the martyrs in China today. I read of the martyrs in India today. And there are other nations of the world where people die for their faith. And I still believe that Jesus stands. He stands in honor of those who die for the faith. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, they called out, Lord, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, scholars debate, but I, I think Stephen, just like Jesus, I, I don't think they killed him. I think he made a choice to go home. Lord, receive my spirit. They didn't kill Jesus. He made a choice. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. The body without the spirit is dead. Now we can debate this and it's not that significant to our everyday lives. But I think it's very interesting that we find Saul here. Now to be here as the witness. Okay. To be here as a witness. That went Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin court. That looks like Supreme Court, but really, and that's what it was in those days, the Sanhedrin court. Young man who studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the, the sharp, young, uprising next generation. I believe that he was there in the Sanhedrin court when Jesus appeared before them and they pronounced judgment on him. And he was there and he heard the sermon of Stephen. The reason I say all of that is because later when he gets saved on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus said, how can you keep kicking against the pricks, little pokes? How long has his heart been being poked by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Wow. 
as a young man, he saw way too much, way too soon. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I call this reverse church growth. Now remember, they've gone from 5,000 men, thus 20 to 25,000 people. And now they go all the way back down to 12 apostles. Now you say, well, why didn't they throw the apostles out of the city also? Uh, I believe the apostles were the remnant of grace. God left a remnant of grace in that city to leave a testimony to those people. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. Wow. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. <laughs> the gospel is not stopped. In fact, if anything, persecution <laughs> makes it multiply. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice and came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is a fruit of revival. Joy. But I also want you to notice, these aren't the apostles. This is a deacon. This is Philip. Now we've got one deacon, Stephen. He died as a martyr. Philip goes down and explodes a revival in Samaria. Now, the seeds for this revival, Jesus planted. Do you remember? The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and the whole village comes out and Jesus spends several days there. Jesus planted the seeds for the revival. And now Philip comes in. The Holy Ghost begins to flow. People are healed. Demons are cast out. The paralyzed and the lame walk, and a city comes to Christ. Oh, that God will do that again. Incredible miracles. Now, not, not little things, though I like the little miracles too. But where the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, paralyzed people are up walking around, demons are cast out, and a whole city is touched by the life of God. If you wonder the things that I, I lay awake and dream about, wouldn't it be beautiful to walk into Batanga City, Dresmates, Cebu, wherever? Wouldn't it be beautiful to set up the, the go truck in Kazan City? And all of a sudden, miracles start happening like popcorn popping. And tens of thousands of people get saved. That's the kind of thing I dream about. That's the kind of thing I pray about. It wouldn't just be, heaven got another one. It would be, heaven got a city. Oh, heaven got a city. <laughs> I thank God. 
heaven got a city. Ah, the things that we dream about and pray about and believe God for. Proverbs 28 for a little bit of wisdom before we close out today. He said, if one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Now, NLT makes it a little easier. A murderer's tormented conscience will drive him to the grave. Don't protect him. You know, murdering somebody really haunts them. I'm going to say something really ugly for a minute, so don't get mad at me. I've spoken to so many women who had abortions. They killed their unborn child. There was nothing wrong with the child. It wasn't a miscarriage. They, they purposely went and had their child killed because they didn't want to raise the child. You know, these women think about it for the rest of their lives. It's never far from their mind. This is why I, when women come to me and they talk about an abortion, I say, please don't. It, you made a wrong decision and you got pregnant. All right, now make a right decision and carry that baby. And if you don't want to raise it, there's thousands of families out there that would love to raise this child. I know that was a harsh thing to say, but it's something that we have to face. Abortion. I don't get this thing about today that abortion is every woman's right. What right do we have to kill an unborn, innocent, helpless child? Verse 18, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. That's a promise. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. But he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. This is one of the things you learn to observe. When you see people suddenly fall, Boom, they're down. They're crooked in their ways. Man of integrity, the woman of integrity will be delivered. Whoever works his land will have plenty of food. But whoever follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. All right, which one, which plenty do you want? Which plenty do you want? Plenty of poverty or plenty of bread? He who follows worthless pursuits. Worthless pursuits. Chasing fantasies. Now, sometimes you chase fantasies in business. You're always looking for that one big deal. Sometimes you chase fantasies young people playing games all night. Sometimes you chase fantasies watching telenovelas all night. You know, there are lots of different fantasies. In other words, you're not living... You're not living in a real world. These are worthless pursuits. Young people, please forgive me, when you, you make a decision about what your major in college is going to be, is it a worthless pursuit? You know, I have a degree in um, coffee cups. <laughs> okay. What is your degree in coffee cups? Well, what are you going to do with that degree? He who follows worthless pursuits. When you, young people, when you look at what you're studying, is it a worthless thing? Or will it be something that will provide for a family for the next generation? A faithful man will abound with blessings. But whoever hastens to get rich will not go unpunished. So there are no get-rich-quick schemes. No get-rich-quick schemes. 
you get into a get-rich-quick scheme, you'll always wind up in devastation. I like how New Living says that a person who wants to get rich, who wants quick riches, will get into trouble. That's a promise. All right, we're going to see you tonight. Tonight, I'm going to do things again a little different. Last night, I talked to those of you who were really struggling financially to recognize that you're coming to a point when nobody else has money to help you that you know. And you have to learn that God is your provider. So how do you see that provision? We talked about the daily seed. Tonight, I want to talk to you who are doing really well and you're earning money and there's no place to spend money. I want to talk to you about saving money and building assets. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.